0: You are listening to an M Pavilion podcast, conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at library.mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.
1: Welcome to Collision, Collusion, Reading the Landscape, Um, brought to you by the Global Gardens of Peace. My name's Lenka, and I'll be your MC or your little support person and runner this evening. Um, and it's my job um, and my pleasure to do an acknowledgement of country this evening. Um, it is important to, to understand where we are, to understand our history so that we can collaborate strategically sophi- in sophisticated ways, um, to understand who we are working with and um, the possibilities uh, that are available to us. So this country here, right here, has always been gathering ground. And it is today. So thank you for coming. This country, um, the Kulin Lands, the Kulin Nation, um, is a a group of five nations. But where we're standing right here, uh, I acknowledge both the Bunwarang Nation and also the Wurundjeri. They are a bordering nation or bordering nations of each other. Um, this country has never been seeded, and so collision, collision is a fitting subject uh, to speak of, really. Um, my name's Lenka, and uh, I welcome each of you here today um, on behalf of Global Gardens of Peace, but it is an acknowledgement of country I do, because I'm also a visitor here. I'm from a faraway land, the other side of Australia, so... I'm a visitor to this country, so very important to use the language of this country. Like a lot of countries, there's a bit of snobbery, and uh, the bunwarang would always require the visitor to speak their language. Uh, the, wel- the word for welcome in this country, uh, I'm sure many of you know it, and many of you have heard it, is Wamunjeka, or Wamunjinka, other ways to pronounce it. Wamunjeka. Um, actually translates to, what is your purpose? So it's, uh, you know, you're knocking on the door of country and you, you don't just arrive, but you also are there for a purpose. Um, so later on, we'll hear some of the reasons that you're here tonight. Um, looking forward to that. We'll start, um, we'll start the night off, Collision Collusion, with Andrew Laidlaw. Um, introducing us and letting us know a bit more about the Global Gardens of Peace.
2: Thank you, Lenka. Everybody can hear me okay? Uh, Welcome, everybody. Uh, Yes, so my name's Andrew Laidlaw and I'm uh, I'm the landscape architect, actually, at the Botanic Gardens. But I've been involved uh, with Global Gardens of Peace now for seven years. And um, what Global Gardens of Peace is trying to do is trying to bring gardens and an understanding of connection to nature uh, to vulnerable communities. Um, And it's quite exciting for us. Um, We've been working very hard, actually, uh, for for those seven years. But the tides are turning a little bit. And it's really exciting that we are doing work locally, nationally, and also internationally. And I'm just going to give us a little overview of where we're at with GGOP. Uh, and then the team's going to introduce um, themselves. What is important from a GGOP point of view is that is we really um, work collectively as a team, but we work collectively with our stakeholders, the people that we're designing gardens. And we're hoping today that we'll dig a little bit deeper in, in that sort of understanding because the success basically is determined by that connection to the people and the connection and understanding to their country, to their land. So we started this through uh, the work of of an amazing woman called Moira Kelly, and Moira Kelly has been going into uh, war zones all her life, Um, and probably in the last 15 years she's been going into the Gaza Strip and she's been bringing children out that are very sick, and she's been bringing them back to Melbourne (laughs) and they've been getting medically attended to. In Gaza, Gaza is like uh, a a prison. It's basically fully enclosed and and controlled. uh, And it's a devastated community. And Moira uh, once was caught in there due to some crossfire and was caught there for a a prolonged period. And she was taken to the war memorial there. And it's one of two only green places in the entire Gaza Strip. And the Gaza Strip is the most densely populated place in, in the world. So she came away from there thinking, gee, if we can build a garden for the dead, surely we can build a garden for the living. And surely we could build a garden for children and families. So she came back to Melbourne because that war memorial was paid for by the Australian, New Zealand, and English government. So she came back to Australia, quite naively, I might add, and said, wow, we're going to build a garden for children. And she got in touch with Uh, myself and a few colleagues from the Botanic Gardens uh, to try and help her build a children's garden in the Gaza Strip. That was seven years ago and we've planted one tree. But it's very exciting because just towards the end of last year, after a lot of hard work, and I'm a landscape designer, but it's the work of everybody that actually landed us uh, a donor and we're now really ready to go and build. It's a smaller garden than the, the first garden we were hoping to build. Uh, but we're hoping to build a small garden and start that garden in the next three months, which is very exciting for us. So, and that's called the Garden of Hope, or uh, sorry, that's called Ullamal. Uh, the first garden we've designed is a five-acre garden, and that is a much larger, much more ambitious project. And we have put that on hold. That's worth about $5 million American million. We've put that on hold at the moment, and we're going to build this smaller garden in Hun Yunus, which is a small area of Gaza Strip, and that's the... That's the garden we have funding for. But we're also working locally and we've completed a small garden in the Alfred Psych Ward uh, right here in Melbourne. And what we realised was that vulnerable communities are right amongst us, you know, and and they're not just people living in war zones or in areas uh, that are far away. They're actually right here under our noses. And so the Alfred Project has been a really wonderful opportunity for us to build a small garden in that space and we went into a space that was an institutionalised space. It was all concrete, there was blood on stairs, it was horrible. Uh, and these people are in there for prolonged periods of time and we were able to go in there and build a very simple garden uh, and it's made a world of difference to those people that are in that space. So, you know, it's very exciting that we can do that so simply. We're also working on a project with uh, the Ventilated Assisted Service accommodation, service, it's the vast community, and these are people that are incredibly, uh, have incredible disabilities, and if they're disconnected from their machine, they basically die within two minutes. Now, we are working with that community in Thornbury, and we've created a design, we're working with Urala to raise the money to build that garden, and and Urala have got that at the top of their list in terms of raising money to build that garden, so that's also a very exciting project for us. We're also working... Uh, with the Indigenous community and the local community in Shepparton and we're working in a palliative care ward in Colac. So it's amazing how gardens arrive and and appear for us uh, and we basically create the team and the energy that can actually uh, allow something to happen. So tonight we're going to talk a little bit more deeply about going into those processes that I think uh, allow a community to actually own a project and create something that really uh, creates connection. So that's me, and, and what GGOP are doing uh, at the moment. Thank you, Lisa.
0: Mine is not going to be as long as that. As long or as boring. <laughs> it's just a, a short little bio. I don't know if can kind of... Is that working? Yeah, it's working. Is it working? Yeah. yeah. It's working. Um, so, It's working I'm, if you
2: put it up to your mouth.
0: I'm <laughs> relatively new to GGOP. Um, I approached Andrew last year, so I've been on board about six months. I've got... Over 10 years' experience as a landscape architect working through local government. Um, That's much better. I didn't think it was working. Um, And I guess what I've come to realise over the career of working in local government and working across a huge range of demographics is that those that are in disadvantaged groups and are of lower socioeconomic status are the ones that ask the least. And it's where you can make the biggest difference. And even just adding a park bench and a small tree makes a massive difference to people's lives. And that's where I've found the work most rewarding. And I know a lot of people might look at landscape architecture and and look at amazing designs and, and things that cost millions of dollars. And that's fantastic. But it's the simple things that actually really have a massive difference on people's lives. And I guess that's where I'm now drawn in my career is about being able to change people's lives. And I've known Andrew for a long time and when I approached him, this was just perfect. Um, If I could spend more time doing it, I would, but I need to pay the bills so I still (laughs) work in local government. So that's it from me and over to David. David.
3: hi Hi. my name is david wong i'm an artist and a designer Uh, i've worked with andrew on several projects including the children's garden at the royal botanic gardens so in 2013 when he approached me and said would you like to work on a peace garden i thought wow that sounds pretty cool and then he said it's in gaza i thought whoa that's even better because i've actually been in gaza many years ago and then he said but we have no money i thought well I'm sold. <laughs> uh, so that's been the history for me and my relationship with GGOP. Uh, my primary work has been with the garden at Al-Manal, Almanal at the moment. And if there ever was a landscape that is socially charged and politically charged and hard to read, that has to be one on top. It's also a country that has suffered so much ecological depression for so many years, that you wonder when we go through a bushfire in the last two months, what is it like to be in that state of anxiety for generations? And you do wonder also the role of a garden, like if you change the landscape, can you change the people as well? So these are the questions that we would hope you can help us answer, and also we'd like to present to you what we've discovered as well. So that's it for me.
4: Hi, um, my name's Claire Cregan. I'm a landscape designer and I'm um, probably the newest team member on this <laughs> board. Um, I recently uh, went to a fundraiser for GGOP and heard Moira talk about the projects that they're working on and was very inspired by Moira. She's an incredible person and, and I just wanted to get involved. So... Um, yeah, I'm helping out the team, so it's great to be on board. Thank you.
5: Uh, so I'm Bernie McInerney, um, and a common theme is everyone seems to be connected to Andrew Latelaw. So I run a landscape construction company, and we've worked with well, the Botanic Gardens and Andrew's um, private practices for a few years. Um, came on board the Global Gardens officially about five years ago, and have sort of worked uh, with a few hats on, one being the sort of construction knowledge, um, but also fundraising and events. Um, so it's been a good opportunity to broaden my skill set um, with some success, and we feel like we've had more in the last um, 12 months. So it has been quite exciting with well, the smaller project in Gaza, uh, but these local projects um, Something that was great to turn our attention to, and look at, you know, what other vulnerable communities there are. Um, I was fortunate to be involved in the construction of the Alfred Garden, and um, which was a success. But uh, probably to really understand it is from what it was before, as Andrew mentioned, is quite dull and depressing. It was plainly depressing to be in that space and then to see it after and what that space has done for the patients or the clients there and the staff has been um, a vindication in a way of what we're trying to do so uh, that, that was really exciting to sort of see that project through and then sort of looking forward to Gaza and then the other local projects.
6: Last last one down the line, sorry about that. I'll um, stretch it out a little, little bit more. Um, my name's Gary Chan. I'm the formerly the Secretary of Global Gardens of Peace. I've been associated with the organisation for about five years as well. Uh, I don't have any landscape or horticulture or um, plant-based knowledge at all, um, nor design or anything like that. So my expertise, if you want to put it that way, is to... Uh, add value in terms of organisational development, um, strategy, networking and that type of thing. And that comes from about 46 years of community development work that I've I've been involved with uh, not only here in Australia but also overseas. Uh, Very strong interest in um, uh, the community-based organisations rather than the the very large corporate type of organisations. I do work across both. The important thing uh, that I find uh, with uh, uh, working with these um, different organisations and including this one here is the, the need to be able to talk with each other uh, so that we can collaborate properly, so that the ideas that come out are actually joint, um, jointly contributed by the different peoples involved. And because of that, we also have to understand who the other person is, where their background is is coming from, understand their language and and the ways that they work with other people. And in that way, we have um, a greater chance of success uh, in understanding other peoples. So from that point of view, the work that uh, uh, I've contributed to includes a number of different places around the world, Africa, Asia, and and Europe, as well as here. Uh, But in terms of Global Gardens of Peace, uh, because we are global, um, we have a great need to uh, deliver that sort of collaborative message as well as the practice uh, for how we move forward in the various projects that we've spoken about. So again, uh, for today or tonight, um, your ideas become important, your contributions become important, because at the end of the day, it's the collective of all of us that makes projects work sustainably. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you, everybody. Um, So this is just... The beginning, the seeds of what will become a little bit more of an interactive experience, where um, whilst um, we do something in a minute, which will involve you standing up and coming out onto the grass here very quickly, very quickly, um, our, our team here are going to put us um, put the chairs into two groups, so we'll have two circles, so we'll be able to have a little bit more of a jam to hear um, what community projects or what um, interests you're coming in with from, um, from your industries, from your organisations, from your personal experience. Um, and uh, we might start that now. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Yet yeah, one thing you might notice. Um, would you like to introduce us?
7: I'm Adnan Mansour. I happen to be a director of this August group. Um, uh, I don't have any uh, gardening uh, or design experience. I have a corporate governance experience and um, all sorts of other things, I'm the one who keeps them on the straight and narrow and makes sure that they don't get themselves in trouble. I also happen to like taking photos and I was asked to take photos tonight because my colleague, she is ill tonight and she said, please take some photos. So I need to ask your permission are we, I'm not a commercial photographer, so can we make use of the photos I take tonight or this evening in our online, whatever publication we use? Is that okay? Because I have to ask you if it's not okay. I'm in trouble.
1: <laughs> it might be just worth putting your hand up and saying no as he's <laughs> taking a photo, and that's absolutely fine. Oh, you can yeah. do this one. <laughs> You can say no and that will give a that will be a clear sort of indication of delete that one. How does everybody feel with that agreement? <laughs> Thumbs up? Fantastic. All right, now we're gonna stand up. Um, you can take your bags with you if you don't mind. And um, we'll our team two groups, yeah. Including a few fellows nearby as well. Everybody else, come on outside um onto the grass. Could I please see a long, (laughs) snaky line, folks? What season, and you might need to ask somebody next to you to work this out because it will be in your very own storyteller's way. What season were you born? What season were you born? And let's just, I'm just going to say A to Z and figure out what season were you born? Can we make this as quickly as possible? That's right. You have all different all different stories. So, shall we do um, shall we do months from January to December and see what you what you come up with? So yeah, there will be conversation that comes out of this, perhaps. Can I see a January to December? January. Oh, there is a January over here. What month? What? And what season was it? Summer over this way. Okay, so what season have we got? February and winter. <laughs> May. May, autumn in some part of the world. What season were you born or where are you right now? You're in June. What season was it? Summer and winter. July. And born in summer, whereabouts? In Germany, summer. Hello. You were born in August and what season, do you even know the name of the season you were born in? It's called winter in her country. (laughs) What season were you born in?
4: Spring, but...
1: Spring, October, Northern Hemisphere. What country were you born in? In the UK. So, what do you remember of, of your, your springtime? Autumn. Autumn. No, no. And what season were you born in? Summer. Which country? Whereabouts? Right here. What country? Aboriginal country? Do you think it, that side? Parkville? In Malvern, Bunwarang, Bunwarang country, Yalligate-Willam. Yeah, there you go. So have a little look around. The seasons are different all over the world and they are very different here. We've got five, six, seven Aboriginal seasons in Victoria. So uh, there you go. Folks, could I ask if this half of the group comes and has a seat over here? And this half of the group, could you please come and take a seat? If anybody does need anything—water, pen, etc.—please feel free to wave um, my way, and I'm happy to be a runner for you. So, thanks, everybody. That was um, some magic happening in each of the groups. Some really beautiful stories from around the world, from from this side that I heard. Um, we're going to have a little bit of time just to, I guess, you might have wanted to ask some questions of the of the Global Gardens of Peace members that weren't in your group, um, but also to hear um, additional things that you might want to share from your worlds, things that you think need to have attention, and potentially the Global Gardens of Peace may be able to sort of move in that direction or to give a little bit of guidance, and that's absolutely possible in this forum. Um, and we might just, I'll just. Um, yeah we'll have a roaming mic I'll just bring it around okay. one of the questions that we did have unfinished from this side um, for Andrew but probably for a number of the facilitators
4: Sorry,
1: from?
8: Oh, no. I,
4: had a that. Um, I was interested to hear from Andrew um, about the potential impact that green space might have for young girls and women that there's now a safe place where um, potential community activities might occur. Uh, And I was wondering if already there was some connections with community groups for those two um, demographic groups or if you envisage in the future that the space might become, um, you know, the site for particular... Community activity for those groups.
2: Thanks, Gary. So, as I mentioned to our group, and I'm sure David and uh, Lisa may have touched on it, but you know, um, women and the cultural understanding of uh, women in Gaza is very different than what we're used to here. Uh, and what we tried to do in our design is is nurture an acceptance or create opportunity for. Um, and for those of you who don't know, but from about 10 or 11, girls are not allowed to play anymore and they've basically got to be covered uh, and they really then have to stay with other women. So, And there's very little for them to often do. So, uh, And we weren't wanting to be provocative, we just wanted to create some opportunity and, and do that in a, in a gentle way. Uh, so what we've done with our designs is we've created... Um, a series of walkways, and these walkways really are designed uh, more with intent for the women and the women groups, but we've created meeting places within those walking areas, and we've created a, a covered area, which would be for a larger group, because what the women do do is that they have, they're have wonderful with their handcrafts and coming to meet. So we believe if we can get them to do that in an open space, uh, in a landscape space, where now the boys may be over there playing a bit of soccer or, and, but there is still connection and, and we did learn through our conferences that they didn't want to be away from the men and the boys so we're hoping that we've created a, a system of spaces that allows women to, to be what is culturally acceptable but to be sitting within that larger space uh, and finding a place for themselves. So that's about as far as we've pushed it at this stage, Robin. But uh, David, I don't know if you'd like to add anything to that. Thank you.
1: I'd, I'd like to, um, I'll pass on to you for a minute, but um, I'd just like to make a note that it is full moon, or yesterday was full moon, and it wasn't so long ago, just a couple of generations, that the Bunwarang um, invited other members of clans and tribes in this area to join them at Faulkner Park which is um, what's the hospital there? That's the Alfred. So just opposite the Alfred there's Faulkner Park, and that is a full moon meeting place for the Bunwarang and Kulin women every month. So, question. Oh, you're um, Half of your, a portion of your group was associated with the business side of things and I was just wondering if someone could comment on the state of philanthropy in Australia at the moment. Um, funds seem to be at the core of your business as well.
6: Thanks very much. It's a great question because um, philanthropy is very broad, of course, and uh, generally philanthropists have... Um, uh, yes. Example. If this place, for example, is a, uh, a result of one particular philanthropist, and, um, uh, her uh, her vision was very specific. And although it's resulted in uh, opportunities such as this, um, you, you'll find that many philanthropists will prefer uh, a very specific um, outcome or, or, or attachment to uh, projects. We have a um, as Global Gardens of Peace and the projects that we undertake. Uh, have challenges, of course, like most organisations. And in our case, of course, uh, with key projects in specific um, uh, uh, you know, locations, uh, there's always going to be some uh, challenge. And that doesn't mean that it's necessarily because of the Gaza. It could be Kenya, it could be Cambodia, it could be anywhere, really, that will have a challenge from uh, some aspect of it. But we try to be above all of that and appeal uh, at, a, at a greater level of... Um, of human development and uh, humanity and, and the responses to humanity, which is also a difficult area, because um, it means that it's, it's, it's a little bit less specific and we try to appeal at, at different levels. We try to bring in... Um, or we try to be more inclusive along those lines. Having said that, of course, we've been uh, at this particular project, uh, this key project, for quite some time. So to bring along uh, philanthropists, we've been able to do that to a certain extent and as we grow over the next few years uh, I believe that there will be more and more opportunities for um, philanthropists and uh, foundations to be involved. Does that answer the question? Yeah, I guess just in response to America having a really great culture Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so in in more general terms, um, the the point was that in America and, and some parts of Europe they do have very large philanthropic um, movements. Um, uh, by comparison, here in Australia, we have, of course, fewer people, uh, and we don't have the same culture as they do over in America. Uh, and you're probably many of you are probably aware that um, our philanthropy is very well tied to the taxation system, uh, which means that, of course, if uh, economic situations do change, uh, then philanthropy changes. Uh, having said that also, uh, you will find that some people here will... Uh, undertake uh, an action as a result of that problem as well. Uh, So it's really just about um, appealing very specifically to uh, the philanthropic sector. Everybody's trying to do it at the same time. There's another challenge as well, and it's how we uh, differentiate ourselves uh, to appeal to particular philanthropists. In regarding to us, I suppose, again, I'm coming back to us, um, we, we have uh, a couple of different networks of philanthropic organisations and, and uh, groups that we are campaigning towards. And again, this is an area, it's not just landscaping, that's why, I'm not, that's why I'm here, I suppose, to be able to bring about those other support mechanisms. And for the same with anybody in this group and beyond, uh, there's space for people to participate and help us out.
8: Um, I want to talk uh, about uh, what I experienced last year, and I've done it before, uh, back in the country where I was born, and the city I was born, Paris, France. And one thing that uh, struck me for some reason, particularly last time I was there, is the little squares, the place. And uh, they can be small, but they're usually surrounded by eating places, bars, a few shops, and... But they're tiny, but there's this kind of unwritten understanding that when you go to the plus, people will talk to you. It's very, very friendly. Uh, You can start talking to anyone there. And and I think this is something that's particularly missing in Australia. Um, And I'm just interested to see what um, your group thinks in terms of... um, uh, the the plus I mean I know it happens in Italy as well different European particularly Mediterranean countries have got this and I think it's a really successful idea and I think in our city Melbourne we're kind of losing that kind of neighbor neighborhood connection and we need to come come back to it
1: David
3: okay I'll attempt to do that uh, I really believe that when you change a landscape, the people will change with it. And I think what you propose is a great idea. I don't know if we've actually looked at it, but we certainly have a coffee culture like we've never had before, and which has turned people away from solely social media into meeting face-to-face. So I see a lot of hope in that in Melbourne. And um, I think you should be part of our team. and <laughs> We can design something with that in mind.
0: I'll just add a a few comments to that. I guess we're not here to have a big discussion on urban design, but I've done a lot of work in that. And exactly as as David said, I mean, I think Melbourne is changing a lot um, to bring about spaces where we can socialise more and, and get together. But one of the challenges Melbourne has compared to an old European city is the street network and... Our cities were designed around, obviously initially the horse and cart, but it is car dominated and they're wide, broad streets and it doesn't often, the grid doesn't set itself up always to allow itself to have those little tiny, you know, plus where you come across down a narrow little street. So, yes, it's lovely and I think everyone here would love to be able to have it. And and in, in smaller suburbs, I guess they're trying to look at how they can create some of those plazas, but we'll just never have enough because we don't have the history, we don't have the street network and narrow little laneways to come from all different directions and to arrive at a little, a little plaza. So it's unfortunate, but, you know, we'll, we'll try our best. <laughs> I, just say, I just
2: would like to say that that quality that you talk about is something we try to bring to our designs that we're going to build because uh, it's about a livable quality that's in those spaces, and often water is associated with those spaces, right in the centre of the life of all that. But also plants, and uh, you know, it's already proven that the diversity—if we can actually create plant diversity in those spaces—that people respond to that. So, I think in what you say, embedded in our designs are these kind of this feeling of a of a of a plaza or a city. Square uh, that has these qualities, which actually people will respond to. So it's a lovely thing that you articulate.
1: Thank you, everybody. And we'll have one last question. We have um, come to the almost to the end of the night. Um, you'll have the opportunity to do a bit of networking afterwards, or to you know meet and greet and catch up with people here. The bar will be open. Um, we'll just have <laughs> one more question, and then we're going to pass on to to David Wong, so <laughs> G- Gary Gary Chan. Uh, To finish off and um, pass on to Andrew. So,
4: thank you. Hi, my name's Anne. Um, My question very much connects with your statement. Does your organisation have any plans to do advocacy to local councils so that we as citizens can advocate for these green spaces in our neighbourhoods? Because development is really attractive and that gets precedent, especially with the Skyrail developments, there's lots of opportunities that are completely underutilised and we don't get a lot of say in those things. So um, you have so much knowledge and wisdom and experience in the projects that you do. How can you share that with all of us so that we can advocate or that you can be voices of advocacy to councils and state governments so that we can have spaces that we desperately need for connection. Because not everyone can afford a coffee every day to go to a cafe. So we need these spaces desperately, desperately. Loneliness is an epidemic. And so we need these third places for people to come and connect.
2: Uh, I'd like to just finish with that, but everyone needs to join Global Guards of Peace and peace and make us a, a powerful organisation. We're pretty strapped because of our commitment to doing projects. But hearing what you say, I would add loneliness but mental illness. And, and I would just like to think on a broader note that some of our um, municipalities, some of our governments are getting it. And I think over the next 10 years, we're going to see a lot more investment into green infrastructure. Uh, it doesn't mean we don't Keep advocating for it, but it's a it's a turning tide, and I really uh, mental illness is going to be is and is going to continue to be such a major problem, and it's our disconnection from nature that is causing it, you know, and uh, I think all of us that believe in this and understand it, we're we're in a plumb spot for uh, being able to to bring bring this um, energy to to whatever we call it uh, to to a better place. So, anyway, it's really good to hear you say that. Thank you.
6: It's me again, sorry. Thank you very much for attending today. It's been very instructive for all of us uh, to have firstly the number of people who have come and also from the diverse uh, backgrounds that you've also come from. So thank you again on behalf of Global Gardens of Peace. Uh, Andrew mentioned definitely uh, quite a few things that uh, you could all take away from this as well, apart from the fact of the, the work that we do and the, the kind of work that we do, uh, and the question of advocacy, the question of philanthropy, and the question of um, uh, what spaces mean to people all come together uh, as part of that. So um, the marketing pitches that we'd like you to join, as um, Andrew has said, we do have membership forms over there. We do welcome your support in terms of getting the word out as well. Uh, and do keep in contact with us because we're always looking for volunteers to do a whole range of different things, everything from the kind sort of the background stuff that I do and all the way through to the more elevated things that these guys do. So thank you once again for coming and um, that's coming back to Andrew to wrap it up. Thank you.
2: Well, I think you've wrapped it up anyway, Gary. So I did just want to mention a couple of people that aren't here tonight and that's Peter Symes uh, is a senior curator at Botanic Gardens that helps us enormously. We have Susanna Owen, who is our project manager and is the glue that keeps us all together. We have Moira Kelly, Louise Ward, um, have I forgotten any? Andy uh, Nadu, who does a lot of our work around DGR. And if there's nothing else that you don't take away from tonight is that it's a it's a huge team effort that actually creates a a small organisation that's trying to just do little things but important things nonetheless so I'm certainly hanging around and I, I know the team will hang around for uh, to have a chat so please come up and have a chat to us and um, yeah let's keep building gardens thank you very
1: much for all coming tonight.
0: You're listening to an Pavilion podcast conversations about design and the world we live in. For more visit our archive at library.mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.